Greetings of peace and blessings and welcome to our presentation of the play Cause and Effect. My name is Sister Colleen Muhammad. A few years ago, I started writing a short 20 minute play dramatizing the long-term effect we as a people have had from turning over the education of our children to people who had no love or concern for them and the effect it has had on our communities. The play was presented as a reading in New York City Theater in, in 2018. It has evolved into what you're about to hear now with the help and collaboration of the wonderful brothers and sisters of the Writers Row family team. We hope you enjoy. Backstory. Addie Louise was born to Big Mama and Buck Daddy in 1950. In 1954, Brown versus the Board of Education was passed. When she and her twin sister Maddie were 10 years old, their family moved north to New York because their father took a traveling job rather than become a sharecropper like his own parents. In 1968, at the age of 18, Addie was visiting the family down south for the holidays and met and married her husband, Willie D. Benson. She moved back to south to live with him. A year later, in 1969, her daughter Betty was born. In 1975, Addie was involved in the local civil rights movement, fighting to integrate one of the last segregated schools in the state. She won the case, but Willie D was murdered in retaliation. She left to live with her sister Maddie in New York and died shortly thereafter, leaving Betty to live with Maddie, her husband, and Maddie's infant son, Nathaniel. Betty was placed in an integrated public school she grew up with a warped sense of self due to various acts of racism and microaggression, causing her to despise her color. In 1995, at the age of 26, she visited family down south and met and entered into a secret off and on relationship with a white man named Edison, whom she loved, but he always refused to publicly, publicly acknowledge their relationship. After bearing light-skinned twins in 1996, she continued seeing Edison and then had a dark-skinned daughter in 1998. Edison denied paternity and eventually left her to raise the children alone. At the time, the opening of Act One, Betty's daughter Diane is 20 years old and is attending a community college. Diane's older brothers, Danny and David, have already left home. And now, cause and effect. 5.30 p.m. on a brisk October day, 2018. A small one-family, two-bedroom house. The living room has a large recliner, small couch, a bookshelf, and a foot-shaped coffee table. The coffee table has a laundry basket on it and a vase with plastic flowers. Off to the left side of the room is a glass cabinet with four white porcelain angels displayed inside. On the center wall is a picture of a blonde, blue-eyed Jesus Christ. In the far left corner is a picture of Addie Louise, Betty's deceased mother, dressed in her Sunday best. The picture is so lifelike 
that the family tradition has always been to greet her during their comings and goings as a sign of respect. Betty is alone in the house listening to music. The telephone rings. Betty comes from the bathroom to answer the phone. She is wearing a bathrobe and hair bonnet. Mama, I found someone Like you said would come along He's a sad, so unlike Any man I've known I was afraid Cuzzy cuz, what's up girl? Hey. This is Nate. I've been thinking of you lately and wanted to holler at you. Betty, how are you and everybody doing? What? Sweet precious Jesus. Nathaniel, I haven't spoken to you in a New York minute. How are you doing? Cuz, I've been living life moving from one extreme to the next. Been feeling like a firefighter, running around extinguishing things all over the place. You do all that in the military. Say it ain't so. I never thought I'd be the determination to stay in this warp system. Most people have no idea what is involved. But I've started my retirement paperwork, and in another two weeks, I will start my true freedom. Oh, you all done with the Army? No way. I thought you'd be looking to stay there another 10 years. My days are numbered as my master, me, has set me free. Ha, ha, ha. Anyway, I want to let you know I'm coming into town on business for a few days, so I'd like to stay at your place. Is that cool? Of course. I'm so proud of you, Nathaniel. Now, let me be the first to say congratulations. I'd love to see you. And we can have a few beers and talk about old times. Let Tell me, are you still single? Because I'd love to introduce you to some of my girlfriends. You know, they all be looking for a fine man that has been through the helm of serving our country, you know. Oh, here you go again with the war hero myth. But I tell you, I sure am glad to be retired from that white man's army. It was hell dealing with all those races going on in there all these years. Oh, Lord, here you go again with that racism stuff. Boy, is you suffering from PTSD? You need some psychological treatment or something? Ain't nothing racist around here but you. Now, listen, I can't wait to see you, but don't be coming up in here talking all that black power bullshit again and getting on my nerves. Now, you can keep that mess to yourself. Okay, okay. I was just calling to let you know I'd be there tomorrow. All right. Now, are you taking a cab or will you be getting on the local dollar van? You're better off taking a cab because <laughs> those hood rats over there will target you for looking and talking well. And don't be wearing nothing flashy or you just might get robbed. Because I can handle myself with no problems. Remember, I was in Afghanistan. You always got an answer for everything. <laughs> 
Hey, I love you, cuz. And I'm looking forward to seeing you soon. Bye-bye. Betty turns up her music and returns to her bedroom. Moments later, Diane walks through the door. She is wearing a stylish FG hoodie, jeans, and an Afropuff hairstyle. She walks past the picture of Jesus on the wall and casually makes the sign of the cross. She also addresses the picture of her grandmother before tossing her bag on the <coughs> table and calling out to her mother. Nana. Hey, Mama, I'm home. I told you don't be slamming that damn door. I didn't slam it. Did you pick up my lottery tickets like I asked you? No, but Mama, listen, guess what? I was walking past the Black Student Union Center today and I saw a flyer with Uncle Nate's picture on it. He's coming to give a speech there tomorrow. Listen to this. Fairview Community College's Black Student Union welcomes guest lecturer and African studies scholar, Nathaniel Johnson for a workshop on the miseducation of the Negro. You didn't tell me Uncle Nate was coming to town. I only found out about it myself just a few minutes ago. Girl, did you do what I asked you to? No, no, but wait, listen. So anyway, I went in to ask them about Uncle Nate, but they were showing a documentary on something called Brown versus the Board of Education. So I stayed a while to watch it. It was so interesting, Mama. Did you ever hear that case? What the hell is that? You know your ass was supposed to be picking up my damn ticket. Uh -huh. Mom, forget the tickets. You gotta hear this. So there was this law back in the day called Plessy versus Ferguson, that made it illegal for black children to be educated with white children. Can you believe that? So then later on, some black people stood up against that law in another battle called Brown versus the Board of Education to overturn it. I don't give a crap about that. Betty walks out from the back wearing a long blonde wig, extreme makeup and false eyelashes, a low cut blouse, denim miniskirt and high heel boots, cigarette and bear in hand. She makes the sign of the cross at the picture of Jesus and addresses the picture of her mother as she walks towards Diane. Hi, Mama. Why in the hell should I care about that? I need my tickets. Mom, I think I want to be a lawyer. Let me tell you something. You better take your Johnny Crocker behind out there and get my tickets. Mama. I saw today that putting up a fight in the defense of educating black children was a very brave thing to do because black people were being lynched at that time. Girl, you gonna get lynched if you don't get out there and get them tickets. And what the hell is wrong with you going out there with that nappy hair standing all over your damn head? You look like a you bangy pickaninny. What's the matter with the way I look, huh? Look at you. Hey, Mama, was Nana involved in the Brown versus Board of Education battle? That was during her time, wasn't it? I remember Aunt Maddie mentioning something like that. Diane crosses the room to look at the picture of her grandmother on the wall with a thoughtful expression. Meanwhile, Betty pulls a couple of blonde and red wigs out of her pocketbook. Why don't you try on one of these nice wigs? And you know you really shouldn't be wearing them nigger clothes because nobody who's anybody gonna take you serious in them threads. Look, if you want people to value you, you have to look valuable. It's not what's in my threads, mother. It's what's in my head. 
and what I have to offer in terms of assistance to our people. That's what I should be doing. You better get out of this house and do what I told you to do. All my money paying for rent in your school and you working part-time at a damn shoe store. You need to find a job where you will be worth something to white people and not all these niggas out there. You have to want what they have. And the only way that is possible is doing what they do. This black union crap needs to be a thing of the past. Join the Rotary Club and make a difference with the good Christians. Or better yet, you need to come down to the bar and find you one of them nice wet white men to settle down with and have some pretty light-skinned children with good hair without all them damn kinks in it. Betty pauses and give her daughter's hair a dirty look as she flicks her own ear. Like what, like your two precious sons? David and Danny are the striking resemblance of our white father. I wonder many times, is he really my father? I don't look anything like them. If I did, maybe he would have loved me too. Sad thing is that man never loved you, me, or them. He was a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Get it and get from you. Your father loved me, but he didn't want to have to take care of you with him, your trifling, nappy-headed ass. It's embarrassing. Nasty-looking kinks in your damn hair. And you've been standing in the sun just too damn long, getting black as an ace of spades. Girl, you need an umbrella when you go out in that sun so you can stop looking a hot mess. She turns and addresses the picture of her mother. Help me, mama, before I go outside her head. Now go get my damn tickets. Or we're going to have to go and live around them damn trifling Negroes that you love so much, huh? Yeah, you're going to go live around them by your damn self because, see, I don't do Negroes especially the trifling ones. You know what? No, I'm gonna go get them my damn self. Cause if I stay here, somebody gonna get hurt and you don't ever get anything right away with your trifling ass. Diane quietly mouths the words with your trifling ass at the same time with a mocking expression and rolls her eyes at Betty, snatches up the wigs and exits slamming the door. Told you don't be slamming that damn door. She makes me sick. Like working in that hillbilly bar makes her better than somebody. She can't afford to pay for nothing, thinking she's gonna win the lottery. Stupid as that. I'm so tired of her hating on me so much. Sometimes she makes me wish I was never born. Why doesn't she love me? I'm her only daughter, always calling me ugly, and I look just like her. Diane flops down on the couch, frustrated with and turns to the picture of Addie. Why, Nana? Why does she hate me so much? Why, what did I do? She hates my hair, my color, my face, my body. She even hates the way that I think. Diane puts down her head, tears in her eyes. Suddenly she hears a voice softly calling her name. Diane. Diane. What? Who is that? Who's there? It's me, Diane. Your grandmother. Your mother doesn't hate you. She hates herself. She sees a reflection in you. Diane looks up in surprise, staring at the portrait on the wall. A moment later, her grandmother's spirit steps out of the picture. 
Nana? Nana, is that you? Wait, am I dreaming or something? Yes, Diane, it's me. And no, you're not dreaming. I've been here all along watching and listening. However, my time left here is very short and there are some things that I must leave you both before I go. One is the reason why your mother hates herself. Did you say she hates herself? But why, why does she hate herself? Because she was educated by people who hated her. They didn't want her in their schools, nor did they have any intention to properly educate her. So what they did was miseducate her. She was systematically indoctrinated with lies, which caused her to hate herself, her people, her abilities, her hair, skin, body, her intelligence, and everything about herself. What you see in her and in most Black people is the effect of that miseducation. But if Black people knew that those people hated them, why would they put their children in those schools? Annie sighs, making her way over to the chair to sit. She pulls the laundry basket towards her and begins to absentmindedly fold some things before stopping and looking up again to explain. Well, child, at one time, we developed independent towns and cities in places like Tulsa and Rosewood. We had hundreds of communities around the country with our own schools and businesses, but they came under attack. And many of these communities were massacred. We believed that integration was the solution to the problem and that it will eliminate the division, give us access to the same opportunities and a chance to prove our humanity to them so that they will see that our lives were no less valuable than their own. But what ended up happening was that instead of demonstrating our humanity to them, by allowing them to educate us with their own mindset and values, we ended up allowing them to instill their inhumanity into us. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We had to prove our humanity to them. Why would we have to prove our humanity? Anyone can see we're human beings. Well, actually, we were considered three-fifths of a human being. This was written in the U.S. Constitution, and most law books will follow the same type of ruling. Color folks, Negroes, have always been treated like that, even to this day. How come I was never taught about these things? Why didn't Mama tell me? Why was all of this kept from me? Well, Diane, there was just so much pain involved that no one ever wanted to talk about it or bring it back up. So the saying ignorance is bliss is how we live. The field discussing those issues was still just too tremendous. That many people would be down. The repercussions were just too severe. Diane pulls her legs up in the chair, eager to listen. Wow. You know, I've been acknowledging your presence all of my life because that's what we were taught by Aunt Maddie, but I never really even knew anything about you or any of this. Can you tell me about our family history now, Nana? <laughs> yes, child, it is time. Let's see, it was May in 1954. I was still a very young child the day the law was passed, Brown versus Board of Education. I didn't understand what exactly that meant at the time, but I remember the joy of all the people around me and Big Mama. <laughs> 
thank you, Jesus, with so much joy. She fell on her knees, pumped daddy and poor boy had to help her up. <laughs> but 20 some years later, I was involved in much of the same battle. By the time my own baby, your mother, was six years old, she was still one of the first Negro children to be integrated in Fairview Elementary School. There were only four other Negro children in the entire school. I was very active in the movement to get our children in that school, and I was not going to take no for an answer. When that battle was won, I reveled into victory. But some white people in town were very angry. My beloved husband, Willie D, your grandfather, he tried to warn me. When I started that battle with the school, that were allowing black children to be educated along with the white children. Scene flashback to Willie D and Addie's home in Alabama in 1975. Willie D is seated in a chair and Addie is in front of a mirror fixing her hair with a protest sign sitting near her feet, propped up against the table. Sweetheart, you must think about the consequences of what you've been doing. If you keep on going like this, this will bring harm to our family. Don't worry, honey, we got the law on our side. Listen, my dear, please, regardless of their laws, they can do anything and everything to us and nothing is said, but good for them niggers. They got what they deserve. They don't even see us as human beings. Color men ain't got no rights that a white man is duty bound to respect. Whatever laws they got out there don't apply to us. Oh, stop worrying. They ain't gonna do nothing. My love, I know these crackers like the back of my hand. I've been around them for a long time and I know how they are. They are evil and have cruel ways. Their intentions are not good and I done seen them do some vicious and deadly things to some people for a little nothing. Whenever they want to barbecue color folk, they would announce a picnic. We were short for pick a nigger. When you hear about white boys talk about the picnic, for sure the next day we will see that strange fruit Bella Holiday used to sing about. Well, that might have happened 20 years ago, but they could never get away with that today. Adame, listen, I'm the protector of you and our family. I'm telling you that these crackers are serious about what they believe in. They have always believed that we should stay in our place, and that is under their feet. They already hate us, but when colorful come against them, with a challenge, they are dangerous. When this happened, they will come after you and this family, and we know what happened next. I love you. Our family safety is very important to me. I would not be ashamed of you if you stop now. No one would blame you. Scene returns briefly to Addie and Diane in the living room. That was the last conversation. I had with Willie D on the subject. Flashback to two angry white men who are having a discussion on a street corner in Alabama, 1975. 
You heard about that nigger gal carrying her black ass down to that there courthouse and trying to force this town into allowing them little black monkeys in our white schools? You talking about that high yellow gal belongs to that uppity Willie D? Them niggers need to be taught a lesson if the court won't put a stop to that uppity black wench who thinks she's above the law, then we need to do it. Damn right. My pappy always said, you let one of them niggers get away with disrespecting white laws in our town, and all of them niggers will think they can run things around here. Yep, and we're going to put a stop to it, and we best to do it now. Time to gather up the boys. Get the rope. Scene returns to Addie and Diane in the living room. Looking back at his actions after that conversation, I see now that he was getting ready to die. That morning on the first day of school, Willie D was found hanging from a tree. So you see, that victory led to my beloved husband being lynched and our whole life changed. Oh my God. My granddaddy was one of those that was lynched. It must have been devastating. My mother was just a baby when her daddy was killed. And to see him that way, I never heard her speak of this. Did they ever catch who did it? Of course not. Because there is another law in place and has been ever since slavery the Dred Scott Law that basically stated that a black man has no rights that a white man is obligated to respect because black people are not citizens of this nation. Addie pauses, letting the anger fade away and getting back to explaining. Child, your mother never knew what happened to her daddy. We never spoke of it or told her what happened, but the memory of seeing my beloved's body as it was being removed from that tree, I could never recover from that. Even after I moved up north to live with my twin sister Maddie and her family, sadness still overwhelmed me. And before long, I made my transition, but I could not rest in peace. Why couldn't you rest in peace? I would think now you were able to be free of the oppression and be at peace with granddaddy. Because my child was left alone to be educated by people who hated her. When we educate our own children, even if we didn't have many material things, we had love for them and taught them dignity, self-love and self-respect. But when we put our children in the hands of people who don't love them, they were only taught that they were lesser and others, and they internalized the racism that the educational system is steeped in. Wait, but you moved north. Wasn't things a lot better in the north? No, no, it was worse because it was settled and hidden. Something she couldn't fight. As a child, she couldn't recognize it and her adults didn't see it. When she registered in the Newtown Elementary School, the entire staff had preconceived notions that black children were incapable of living up to the standards of the school. And their beliefs were so strong, they were set on proving Her very first aptitude test revealed that she was beyond the normal expectation for the first grade. And even though she was only six years old, she was accused of cheating. What? 
what six-year-old knows how to cheat? Did she even know what cheating was? She was constantly being accused of cheating and being punished for it. They were programming her not to do her best and to question their own abilities. Just then, Betty returns home highly upset. She slams the door and starts yelling at Diane. Damn, damn, damn it! I'm as hot as fish grease right about now. Where's the damn money I gave you to get the tickets with? Shit, here it is, still on the damn table. I chose my numbers, but I didn't have the money. This mess is getting old. All my life I've been accused of cheating and stealing, even when it's impossible. Does it ever end? This is your fault this time, ass backwards child. Betty leaves, slamming the door behind her, leaving no concern for a reply or even a response from Diane. Nana, did you hear that? I can't believe it. She's still experiencing this. See, sweetie, her world growing up and even today is not the same as yours. She is still living out her past experiences. Flashback to an elementary school. Maddie has been called into the school in which two white teachers are accusing Betty of cheating in the first grade. Oh, come on in. Don't be shy. I'm Mrs. Pettibone, and this is Miss Emma. You must be Maddie Johnson. Yes, I'm Mrs. Johnson. It's nice to meet you, Mrs. Pettibone. May I ask, what is this about? Hello, Maddie. We called you in to speak about Bessa. Are you her mother or her guardian? That's Mrs. Johnson. I'm both, as her mother, my sister, recently passed away. Oh, really? Was it a drug overdose? No. She died of grief after the lynching of her husband in Alabama. Oh, really? Well, anyway, uh, we called you in because Betsa copied her answers from another student. What? What do you mean? We gave an aptitude test in which Betty did better than all the regular kids. She got 100%, and the only way that's possible is if she cheated. I don't understand. Where would she get the answers from besides the books? Bessa is new here, and a child of her um, background, well, hmm, we're certain there's no way she could surpass the top gifted kids in her class. She cheated from one of them. I see. Well, thank you for telling me. I'll handle it at home. If I, it was up to me, I'd give her a good beating. That's the only way a child like that will understand and make sure she knows not to do that again. Theme returns to Addie and Diane in the living room. Her second grade teacher will give all the children in her class animal crackers for good behavior. And while smiling at her, she will be giving her a doggy biscuit. Better than understand why the children were all laughing and balked at her during recess. Scene flashes back to an elementary school playground. Betty is surrounded by a pack of mocking children. Here, boy, go fetch. 
Fetch it, fetch it, fetch it. Fetch the ball, kiddo. Fetch the ball. Let me brush that woolly hair and spray you, fiddle. You must have ticks. All you niggers are just like dogs and monkeys. That's what my dad says. An hour later, Maddie walks into their small apartment and puts her purse on the table before walking over and adjusting the picture of her twin sister. Addie, young Betty, walks in behind her. Betty, get in here right now. I had to go down to that school again. I can't stand those kids. I hate that school. Betty slams her backpack down on the table. Maddie sits on the couch so she can be eye level with Betty. She takes Betty into her arms. Come here, sweetie. I know it's been hard and it hasn't been fair, but you have to keep your head down and don't give them a reason to target you. That's the only way you're going to get ahead. All that pain and anger you got pent up inside of you, turn it around and use it. Those white folks don't care nothing about us. That's why we gotta be better than them. We gotta be smarter, prettier. Shoot, if we could be whiter than them, we should be that too. Beat them at their own game. You understand? Now go on. I got a lot of work to do running behind you and that little boy of mine. Maddie gets up from the couch and runs her hand over Betty's cornrows. She grimaces. Ooh, we got to do something about that hair of yours. Make you real pretty like the other little girls. Maddie walks out the living room, leaving Betty standing there almost defeated. She turns and walks up to the painting of her mother, Addie, and ever so gently touches it with her head bowed. Scene returns to Addie and Diane. Wow, that's so terrible. Addie nods, then continues. In the third grade, she loved the teacher, Mr. White. That teacher was tall, blonde hair, blue-eyed woman who would treat her like a pet. She would pet her on the head and always be nice to her. Betty really believed that that teacher loved her too, and she wanted to be just like her. Betty would come home from school, put a white towel on her hair, pretending it was her hair. Sometimes she would scrub her skin with bleach, hoping that she could be white just like her. However, Miss Dwight had a daughter, the same age as Betty. And when all the children in the school were given aptitude tests, Betty scored higher than her daughter. She pauses, smiling proudly for her daughter but then her expression turns angry as she continues. From that point on, Miss Dwight saw Betty as a threat. She didn't expect that the child she saw as little more than a class pet actually had intelligence, even more than her own child. She began manipulating her grades, lowering her challenges, finding fault with all of her assignments and homework, thereby lowering her grades all the while maintaining her false loving attitude towards her. Wasn't anybody around that knew what was going on? Nobody cared. My sister Maddie, 
Bless her heart. She loved it. But she was too busy with her own life, family, job, and her own child to pay much attention. I could not move on, and I watched every day the hatred that surrounded her. She was one out of five children that was bussed into that school from our community. She was ridiculed, tormented, teased, and tortured every day by the white children. They repeated the things they heard their parents saying about Black people. There was no letting off of the constant reminder of Black, ugly, and worthless they felt she was. Flashback to a middle school classroom. Another white teacher is talking to now 12-year-old Betty. Betty, what would you like to be when you become a woman? I want to be a lawyer, Miss Stoneberg. Hmm, that would be very difficult. People who can't afford lawyers, they don't really hire Black women. Not only that, but remember, your family needs lots of money for you to go to law school. You know what I think? I think you would be a great chambermaid. Is that similar to a lawyer? Well, not quite. But you get to work in one of those big hotels downtown. You do like to help people. You are always so helpful in the class. You erase the board so nice. And you always make sure there's no gum under my chair. You know what? I have some tomatoes growing at home. Would you like to come and help us pick them? As helpful as you are, we'll be glad to have you at our house. You don't act like those other black girls. And I like you. I'll see if your mama will let you spend the weekend with uh, my family. Scene returns to Abby and Diane in the living room. You said there were other Black kids in the school. What about them? Weren't they at least on her side? No, baby. The Black students in the school had already been programmed for their own self-destruction. She couldn't turn to them for help against the bullying. They only picked on her and bullied her even harder, wanting to fit in and be accepted by the white children who were now targeting her instead of them. The first time she had a black teacher, she was 14 years old, Mrs. Knowles. She would challenge her, expecting a lot from her, but Betty had already been trained that a black person could hold no legitimate authority and had no respect for her. So whenever Mrs. Knowles was strict or challenged her to do better, she believed the teacher was picking on her and hated her because of how she felt about herself. Mrs. Knowles, like most Black teachers, believed in expecting a lot from our children, knowing that being equal to white children wasn't enough to make it in this society. They had to be better. But all Betty saw was the teacher making it hard for her, and she hated Black people even more. Steen flashes back to a high school classroom with a Black teacher talking to 14-year-old Betty. Your test scores are impressive, but... I feel you could have scored much higher. What was my test score if you said it was impressive? You scored an 87, which is actually the highest in the class. If I already scored high, the highest, how much higher should I be? Betty, in order to succeed in this world, you have to be far, far ahead of these white people. You can never be satisfied passing by a small margin. White folks might get away with not working hard and they'll do fine. 
but we must always push beyond our limitations and expectations just to get the bare minimum of respect. Who's we? I'm not like you. You're a public school teacher and you're telling me about exceeding expectations? Child, I was valedictorian in high school and I graduated with top honors at my college. I choose to work here because I wanna help other young black students. What do you think you wanna be? Who knows? Perhaps a math teacher. If that's what you want, you can be anything you choose. You have the potential. But remember, the only way for that to happen is that you must work 10 times as hard at everything and lose the attitude, I'm trying to help you, girl. I need your help. What can you know anyway? You want to help Black students? That's racist. I heard from my friend's parents that you're only teaching here because of affirmative action. Anyway, you've already said I'm the best in the class, so no thank you. I don't want your kind of help. She grabs her paper and leaves Mrs. Knowles watching her go, shaking her head sadly. Seam returns to Abby and Diane in the living room. My baby soon began in her confusion to love everything white and despise anything black. She was taught that the white cake was angel food and that the black cake was devil food. She wouldn't touch it. Over the years, that's how her worldview got shaped. Then one day in her desperation to rid herself of her blackness, she gave herself to a white man, hoping he would love and marry her, but he never did. She was keeping hope, hope alive that they would one day be together, but he saw her as nothing more than a body he could have access to whenever he wanted. Eventually, she had Danny and David, then later you. And she kept putting expectations on him that he never intended to fulfill. So he wanted an excuse to get her, you, and his other children out of his life. Bean flashes back to a small apartment with a few decorative touches to make it seem like a cozy cottage. Edison is seated alone at a dinner table big enough for four, with Betty hovering nearby as she brings him a drink and sets the table. I made a nice dinner for you. Your favorite tuna casserole medley steamed asparagus and a salad and some blueberry pie. You know, I thought after dinner, we could talk about getting a nice place together and where we could raise our children and be a family. Be a family? Be a family, huh? You gotta be kidding. You're just a free piece to me when my real woman is not available. What made you think I wanted to be a family? What you and them bastard children do dropping? Uh, these are your children. You know that these are your children. No, I allowed you to say that to yourself so you keep your door open. When the two white ones came out, it, it may have been a possibility, but after you dropped that black one, I knew darn well that wasn't mine, which obviously proves you've been cheating all along. It make no difference to me, long as I got what I wanted whenever I wanted it. What? Oh, you, 
You are the father of all three of our children. You know this. I know you ain't nothing but a whore. And I don't want nothing else to do with you. I'm out of here. Edison shoves his way past Betty, slamming the door on the way out. Betty collapses on the floor, sobbing. returns once more to Addie and Diane's conversation in the living room. Diane sits in silence for a few moments, thinking about everything she's heard. You know, Nana, I always felt there was something really wrong with the way my mother always spoke about Black people. There was something wrong with her attitude and her behavior. Something in my soul was, I don't know, not sitting right. I feel like I'm straddling the fence between loving and hating our own people. Well, you, child, were born at a time when technology has afforded you great opportunities to discover who you are, where you came from, and what is the history of your people, not just from time of slavery in America, but from the beginning of time. And that's why I'm here. You need to understand the true history of our family so you can move forward and live your life in truth and not make the same mistakes we made. Addie returns to her place behind the picture frame. Diane watches her go and nods as if silently making a promise. A moment later, the door opens and Betty walks in carrying lottery tickets and brushing a new pink wig. Diane rushes to hug her mother, who is surprised by it, and hugs her back. Mama, guess what? I'm gonna open schools. I wanna become a teacher. A teacher? Girl, five minutes ago you wanted to be a lawyer. Let me show you this cute wig. This I got for you. It is so cute. Let's cover up them, them naps. No, Mama, I definitely have to become a teacher. Let me tell you, Nana spoke to me. What the hell is you talking about? She came to me. Girl, shut up. Are you going crazy or something? I don't want to hear that making up stories like that. Stop it right now. And you better not say another word about it or I'll have your crazy behind committed in a mental hospital. Diane ignores that and follows her mother into the back room, still talking excitedly about becoming a teacher. End of act one. Scene opens with Betty alone in the house, talking to the telephone. Talking on the telephone, she is once again dressed in a bathrobe and bonnet. Yeah, I can't wait to see you too. <laughs> oh, but listen, we won't be alone for dinner tonight. I have a guest. Yeah, I know, honey. 
But my cousin came into town yesterday. He's staying here for a few days. Hey, I know. Why don't you bring that young friend of yours? Now he can meet Diane and we can all have dinner. And then <laughs> maybe you and I can go hang out later. Okay, honey. I'll see you soon. Betty hangs up and exits the room. A moment later, Diane and Nate walk in the door, deep in conversation about the lecture he just gave at his school. Diane is besides herself with excitement. Uncle Nate, there is just so much to learn. I'm so fired up by what you taught today. I have so many questions. Oh my God, I, I wanna, no, I need to know more. Calm down. I'm gonna answer all your questions just one at a time. I was really blown away by what I heard today. You said that the black man is God and the father of civilization. You said that the black woman is a mother of all civilization. I mean, that is some kind of powerful statement. You're lecturing in colleges with this kind of information, but where did it come from? How did you find it? What even made you look for it? Let me think, how did I get started? My experience in the armed forces during my first and second tour opened my eyes to the inhumanity of the controllers of this country and the tremendous differences in the way anyone who is not one of them are, created, are, are treated. So I began to question everything and everyone, not only uh, about them, but about myself too. I began looking into the truth of why I was there. What was the reason for the assignment that I was on? What was the real reason the United States was in other countries? And how was I and other brothers and sisters tricked into participating in what we really did not understand? How did we get here? And what was the true history of our people? Because we certainly have been lied to. Wow. So where did you begin? How did you start? And how did you know which direction to go in? When I started observing things happening and questioning what was going on, I realized that I was becoming an enemy to my own government. I noticed the blockages that were put on information coming to our people and the tremendous amount of disinformation that was being fed to our people on a daily basis. Everything that I looked into led me deeper and deeper into the depth of most wicked plots against our people here in the US and abroad. And it compelled me in doing research on the miseducation of our people. That's the name of the one of the books you mentioned, uh, The Miseducation of the Negro by Carter G. Woodson. Is that where you started finding out how much we've been lied to? Yes. We have, lo we have lost so many things trying to accept in the, be accepted into the white man's world of hypocrisy especially our identity. We are suffering from many things and our identity crisis is the major problem. I remember in school pledging allegiance to a flag that represented a country that enslaved our ancestors. I did not know any better then, but I do now. These white people got us fighting like we are enemies of each other and we need to. Oh, hell no, Nate. The hell you two over there talking about? Just then, Betty walks into the room, straightening up. She's now dressed in jeans, cowboy boots, a tight plaid skirt shirt, 
and a cowboy hat perched atop a long, curly red wig. She pauses and becomes angry when she hears what they're talking about. I told you don't be coming up in here with that racist crap. Listen, I have guests coming for dinner and I do not want to hear that mess tonight. It's not racist, mom. We're talking about history. I don't care what you call it. You're not going to be embarrassing me in, my, in front of my guests. Now they're going to be here any minute. Nate, you're a guest in my house. I'm serious. All right. All right. We'll talk about something else while your guests are here. Like, I don't know, uh, the weather or something. He and Diane both roll their eyes and Betty gives them a dirty look. Just then, the doorbell rings. Nate is closest to it and opens the door. Two white men are standing there holding flowers. They all stare at each other in shock. The two white men hesitate in the doorway regarding Nate with surprise. One looks to be in his 50s and the other in his 20s. The older one is dressed in country casual clothes. The younger one is dressed in baggy jeans and a white tank with a do-rag tied on his head. Betty runs over to the door, pushes Nate aside and embraces the older one. He gives her a pat and looks Nate up and down. Hey there, brown sugar. Ain't you about the cutest thing? I've been looking forward to seeing you all day with them sweet cakes you got. You just been the taste in my mouth. And um, who is this, the maintenance man? <laughs> no. Remember, I told you that my cousin was here for a few days. This is my cousin, Nathaniel. Nate, this is Big Doug. And... This is his friend, um... Everyone, this is Ernest. We call him Ernie. He works in my department as one of my maintenance assistants and is an up-and-coming businessman. Nice to meet you there, Diane, and you too, Nick. It's Nate. Nate stares at Big Doug long enough to make him uncomfortable. Betty laughs nervously grabs Ernie's hand and pulls him inside the door. She glares at Nate as she passes him. Hi, Ernie. You sure is handsome. Now, this is my daughter, Diane. Isn't she pretty? Well, she's really smart, and she goes to the same college as you do. Why don't you two... Just go over there and get to know each other a little bit. Betty pushes Ernie to stand closer to Diane. Diane, utterly embarrassed, looks up at Nate, but he's still staring at the two other men. Hey, girl. Nice to meet you. Uh, hi. I saw you in my sociology class. There's so many students that, you know, it's hard to get a chance to connect. But I did notice those chocolate cakes you brought to class. Huh? I never brought no cakes to class. Ernie leans around and looks at her behind. Oh, yeah, you did. Nate quickly steps in between Ernie and Diane 
and stares Ernie in the eyes. I'm her Uncle Nate. She said she never brought any cakes to class. So what cakes are you talking about? Hey, hey, oh, oh my bad. It, it's all good, bro. My mistake. I saw that five black sister and I kind of lost my mind for a moment. You know how it is, right? I'm sorry. Hey, hey, hey what up, my G? Check out this new hot fire when you get a chance, bro. My SoundCloud link is written on the back. Let me know what you think. Ernie tries to give Nate a friendly handshake. And when that doesn't work, tries to slip a CD into his hand. Nate stares at Ernie and the CD for a few moments before turning away. He goes to sit in the corner and opens his newspaper, seemingly prepared to ignore everyone. Betty waves the two younger people towards the couch and turns to give Big Doug her full attention. Hey, Dougie do baby. I couldn't wait to see you all day. I feel like dancing. Betty jumps up and puts on some music. The get up. Right now, I just need you to get real loose. Get comfortable. Grab your loved ones or grab your love partner. And if you're by yourself, no worries. Just follow after me. Yeah. I wanna do the two step and cowboy boogie. Grab a sweetheart and spin out with him. Do the hold down and get into it. Take it to the left now and dip with it. Don't throw down, take a sip with it. Now lean back, put your hips in it. Let's have some fun. To the left, to the left now. To the right, to the right. Now take your left hand and put it on your side. Oh yeah, now that's my sugar plum. Gonna roll your shoulders. Do the slip and slide. This next part's my favorite part of this time to shine. Gonna do the two step and cowboy boogie. Grab a sweetheart and spin out with him. Do the hold down and get sits down next to Diane and starts a conversation. So, Diane, right? How you doing? When I saw you on campus, I was hoping I have a chance to meet you. So what are you studying? The honor of fine chocolate. Um, I haven't chosen a major yet. I'm thinking about going into education. Oh, okay, that's cool. Hey, you know, you're really a fine sister. I love your hair. You know, you wear it so natural next to your beautiful skin. You, you look like a black porcelain doll. I could just run my hands through that crown. Is it all yours? He tries to touch it, but Diane leans away and gives him a look. So he puts his hand down. Oh, 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 sorry. I'm just really excited to meet you. So, you know, come on, girl. Do you want to dance? I know you could bust a move and get your twerk on. You know I am an upcoming rapper, and i love for you to be in my next music video. I'm working on it right now, and it's going to be fire. Check out my rapper's delight, MC Lil Blizz, on the mic. I'm hip. 
coming to y'all right off the rip, making sure y'all don't trip walking about with my a money clip. Come on, girl, ride along on. Let's come on, taking a sip. I'm a rapper, speaking loud. Ain't I proud? Cause MC Lil Blizz is the hip hop whiz. Wow. So is that what you call yourself? Yeah, I'm known internationally, globally, and on the streets as MC Lil Blizz. Check out my SoundCloud when you get a chance. Uh, you know, um, I really should be working on my paper that is due tomorrow. Diane stands up and starts to walk out of the room. Betty stops dancing and glares at her. Hey, where are you going? Come on, girl. Help me get this party started. Here, little chocolate chip. Uh, send her up. Can you get me a beer out the fridge? Ah, oh, no. I forgot to pick up the beer. Ah, oh, that's all right, sugar lips. Maybe your boy Nick there can run out to the store and fetch some for us. <laughs> I'm just fooling with you, Nick. I got some in my pickup. Oh, his name is Nate, honey. Remember? But I'll go get it. And dinner will be ready in about 30 minutes. Now, just sit down and just continue to make yourselves comfortable. Be right back. Betty exits the front door in a rush. Diane sits reluctantly back down on the couch. Big Doug settles himself in the big armchair in the room and props his feet up on the coffee table. Ernie sits down a bit too close to Diane and she shifts away from him, closer to the edge of the couch. Nate remains in the chair in the corner, newspaper held high to block his view of the scene. Say, Nate, you haven't said much uh, since we've been here. So what do you do for a living? Nate responds from behind his newspaper. I'm in the process of retiring from the military. I'm also a Toastmaster and a lecturer of African diasporic history. Oh, a military man, eh? Now, I sure do respect that. Yes, sir. And you're doing what now? I teach black studies with a focus on miseducation of the Negro. Negro? That's a kind of a racist term, isn't it? And don't everyone get the same education? So what sense does that make? Nate finally lowers his newspaper to engage in the conversation. The miseducation of the Negro is the name of the book by Carter G. Woodson. It's about how black people have gone from being uneducated to being tremendously miseducated. The state of black people and white people today is a direct effect of hundreds of years of the miseducation of both people. What do you mean? Since segregation ended, all people are getting the same education, black, white, Spaniards, Orientals, and Indians. Right. All are educated in white supremacy. Just then, Betty returns from outside, smiling widely and carrying a six-pack of beer. Here you go, honey. Anybody else want one? 
Betty cracks the bear open for Doug and hands it to him. He drains it in just a few seconds. So why can't we just forget all that and keep it moving? Keep it moving? We're still handicapped with chains on our minds and shackles on our backs. Understanding the truth of history and our origin in the world is necessary so that we may take our proper place in this world. We must correct the diminished white supremacy mindset that is at the root of our current condition. Betty's smile fades and her expression becomes a bit horrified as she realizes the direction the conversation has taken while she was gone. She sits on the arm of Doug's chair with a slightly panicked expression, but smiles nervously at him. Proper place? What proper place is that? In what condition are you referring to? Oh, come on now, Dougie. Uh, let's enjoy this evening together and let's not talk about things of the past. Oh, but it's not the past though, Mom. You should have heard Uncle Nate's lecture today. He showed proof that all of our past experiences in this country are still negatively affecting Black people to this very day, especially because we've been educated to think those things are no longer an issue. Exactly. We made some progress over the years, but it always comes under great attack. Then we chose to fight for inclusion into an educational system that taught us to hate ourselves even more than our oppressors. Now our people are step, steeped in self-hatred to the point where some of us are killing each other and some are living in the same wretched and suburban conditions as we were doing, as we were doing, doing slavery. If we don't take charge of our own education and teach our history instead of his history, it will continue on into our future. Well, if those people would just pull themselves up by their bootstraps, they wouldn't be living like that. She doesn't think she is one of those people. In order to clean up the condition of our people, we must start at the root. The, to eradicate the lies that we were told about ourselves. Give me another beer, darling. And exactly what lies are you referring to? Betty hands it to him and he motions for even another one, wiping out one and setting the next one on the table. The lies about how we originated in the world and the false doctrine of white supremacy. Nate, Nate. Oh yeah, Uncle Nate, you said in your lecture that blacks were the original people on the planet and there were no white people. Where did you get that information from? I'd like to hear about that. That's right. We're the original people of the earth. It's time for us to learn who we really are. And it is time for us to understand that true knowledge is here for you and me today. So we are the parents of humanity. Well, if that were true, you all being the original and everything, how come white people are in control of the whole world now and, and black people aren't? You know, just like hip hop, black people did start it, that's true, but now it's really white people that control it. 
the agents, record labels, the music industry are all rich white men who dictate what happens in the hip hop world. If white people always end up controlling everything that originated with black people, wouldn't that prove that white people are really superior? I hate to say it, Uncle Nate, but he does have a point. White people do end up in control of everything. How would you explain that? The way they got their position is because everywhere they went all over the world, they exploited other people's labor, resources, and ideas. They took from all the different countries, tribes, and families of the world. Despite what you're saying, we've made the world a better place. A better place for who? Using lies, trickology, and murder, whipping out entire peoples, wiping out entire peoples. They killed and stole everything they got their hands on and aggravated the wealth of the entire planet for themselves. Our great historian J.A. Rogers points out in one of his books that beyond the cotton fields of the South and long before the white man himself crawled out of the caves in Europe, we had government superior to any we are experiencing today. Betty is looking more and more horrified with every word Nate says. Becoming desperate to interrupt the conversation, she deliberately knocks over her bear as a distraction. Oh, oh my gosh, what a mess. Uh, Diane, hand me those towels. Diane looks exasperated, but gets up to get the towels and hands them to Betty. Betty bends over to wipe up the spill on the floor, and this catches Doug's attention for a moment. He lifts up his cowboy hat and puts it back on his head with a whistle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm, pardon me, folks. Uh, I just love me some ancient mama pancakes. But anyway, back to you, Nate. Listen, you can't be blaming white people for stealing everything. Black Africans and Arabs were responsible for enslaving the ancestors of African Americans. And if slave labor created wealth for white Americans, then obviously it has created wealth for black Americans too, including the descendants of slaves. Hell, I reckon black Americans on an average enjoy incomes in the range of 20 to 50 times that of blacks living in any African nations from which they came. Wouldn't you agree with that, that their statement there, Mr. Historian? You see, that's the problem with you white people. You think that money and possession are more valuable than people. You think that people in Africa are poor, but they are not poor. They're rich. They have their land, history, and cultural values intact. But then why are we basically only ever shown and taught about the suffering and horrible conditions of people in Africa? Slavery and colonialism have stripped Africa of material resources. So yes, the people are lacking many things that were stolen, but the African people are free to be who they are. Meanwhile, in America, Black people are living in slave conditions while thinking they're free. 
Any money that the black people get in this nation is still being controlled by the white people. And those black people who have been miseducated into thinking that everything white is right are psychologically damaging in themselves every day trying to be more like the white people than themselves. All right, now that's enough, Nate. I wanted us to have a nice evening tonight and nobody wants to hear this bullshit from you. You promise not to do this. Now, now, we're just having a friendly conversation. I'm interested here what Nate here has to say. If we're to have a dialogue about race, I reckon this is a good place to start as any. Sally, sugar lips, this is going to be interesting. Hand me another beer, darling. Would you, honey? There's a good gal. He gives her a pat and turns back to Nate. Betty throws her hands in the air, giving up. She stands and grabs a beer, handing it to Doug. She then flops down on the couch and sits, sulking, as the conversation continued. Now, Nate. You didn't brought up slavery and colonialism a few times in this conversation. But guess what? That was over 400 years ago. Every country in the world has had slavery. And everyone else has gotten over it. But only y'all African Americans are still using it as a crutch. And blaming white people for your problems. It may have started 400 years ago. But what others deem as slavery was nowhere near comparable to the system of chittel slavery that happened in America. This system is still technically in place today in the prison system and the racist police departments all over the country. So what is the difference between what is called slavery and chattel slavery? What was called slavery in other countries was closer to what we think of as servants. It did not include the loss of their identities and their overall humanity in addition to some of the most horrific abuses ever perpetrated on a human being. Well, I'm sure glad that I was born over here and not in Africa affording me the opportunity to live just as white people live here today. I wouldn't change that for the world. That is exactly the problem with our people today. We see no value in ourselves. Our values are the same as the oppressors who taught us, and now we become the oppressors of ourselves. Being educated by the people who hate you teaches you to see from their point of view and hate yourself even more than they hate you. What kind of bull spit is that? He picks up the beer on the table and hands it to Betty. Open this beer up for me, gal. And hands it to Betty. Open this beer up for me, gal. White people have always been, been the saviors of black people. Look at our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He was a white man and the savior to the whole of world. And all the prophets and people of God were white. Yes, they were. Where in the Bible does it say that? Look at the picture on the wall. 
blonde hair and blue eyes. You know what? He looks just like me. He sure does, Doug. Yes, he sure does. Jesus looked nothing like that. That's a damn lie. Your people brought us into religion, not to make us closer to Jesus, but to turn us inside out in Jesus' name. You know, Jesus was no white man. The Bible says he had hair like lamb's wool and feet like brass burning an oven. But you made him white, planting him in our minds, a white savior would help, which helped to destroy our love for ourselves. So who is lying? Mel, uh, Michelangelo painted the picture. His nephew was the model for the painting. They sent this picture around the entire world perpetrating the fraud. Didn't others around the world know it was a lie? That's white privilege, being able to influence public opinion all around the world. Jesus was in Jerusalem. How do you think a white man can live in the desert for 30 years? Y'all can't even stand in the sun for 30 minutes without fighting. Nate! Nate, what are you doing? Doug, oh Doug, don't be listening to them. They're just ignorant. Let me tell you something, Nathaniel, since you're keen on history and all, I'm just as educated as you. And I got Black History Month every month, every, Black History Month, ugh, every year, just like you did. You think that I don't know our history? Yes, we were bought here as slaves. So what? We had to work hard. Well, we needed to work hard. Some of these trifling Negroes could use that lesson today. We may have been slaves, but at least we got to wear clothes, speak English, and get introduced to Jesus and didn't get left back there into the Booga Ooga land and the jungle and, until we starved to death. Then what? President Lincoln freed the slaves. But did the Negroes make anything of themselves? No. How do I know? Look around. What do we own today? Rockefeller and Carnegie were building cities and legacies, and they came from nothing. But what did the Negroes do with their nothing? Not a goddamn thing. Mama. Shut up, girl. You wanted to talk about it, so let's talk about it. Now we get to civil rights. Ain't nobody owned them Negroes a damn thing but they wanted to keep on dis disrupting and, and society, crying about injustice. But at least some of them had some damn sense. The NAACP and Martin Luther King, they knew our only chance was to leave the nigger life behind and get with white people. That education that you've been insulting all night was a result of your people finally pushing to get educated with white people so that we could finally make something. They, we all could make something of ourselves. And that's why I stand here today, an educated woman with a good man and not some junkie in the alley crying about imaginary discrimination. Discrimination where? In a country that elected Barack Obama? I mean... <laughs> I didn't vote for him, but enough of you people did. So he became president. And isn't that what you wanted? But that's never enough for you. I bet you was out there screaming Black Lives Matter too, huh? Hmm. All lives matter. But if you ask me, these druggy criminal thugs out there barely make the cut. Original man, my ass. Disposable man, more like it. Now what? 
You see that? That's the miseducation that I'm talking about. She's talking out of a white supremacy perspective. Mm -hmm. And everything she said was telling y'all's story and leaving out our story. She sees the Rockefeller fortune, but not that it was built from con artists, murder, and war profiting. She sees our future to do the same, but not the 150 years of deliberate oppression and suppression of all our efforts to succeed independently. She sees drugs in our communities, but does not know that they were deliberately flooded into our communities by the CIA. I could go on and on, but she doesn't know any of that because it's not what's taught in these white supremacist education systems or on the tell live vision. So her entire world view is informed by the white view of his story. And she come to the conclusion that your people are heroes and ours are worthless, which is the farthest thing from the truth. That's why she can sit here and allow someone like you to come up in her house, treating her like a servant or a bed wench. Now stop right there. You just watch your goddamn mouth about what's between me and this gal. Damn it, give me another beer. That's right, Dougie. Here you go. Meanwhile, the hip hop wannabe over here wants to make a living of a black culture, but his white privilege has him thinking it's okay to come in here disrespecting my niece with his suggestive overtones asking her to twerk. Well, thank you, Uncle Nate. Boy, been breathing down my neck since he got here. Girl, I, I thought she was gonna be in my video. Not with them rock lines. You damn lucky I kept my promise to Betty to be polite tonight, or you both would have been laid out on the floor by now. That sounds like a threat to me, boy. I swear you thugs and criminals were turned violent any chance you get. Y'all niggers are all alike. <gasps> oh my God. Jesus Christ, dog, we talked about this. There's some things you, you can't say out loud. He's right though. Nathaniel, how dare you start acting like a nigger in my house and threatening my company. There it is, white supremacy, white privilege, the black inferiority, all wrapped up in one package. Dougie Doo Doo over there must not know the opinions or insults of white people mean less than nothing to me because I know that they are the lesser part of us. So look at how red his neck is getting from hearing the truth. Let me break your brain a little bit more, Doug. God created the original black man in his image and likeness. Then man created mankind, a kind of man. That's you, the white man. Then it was white people that created niggers by divorcing the black man from his own original nature, stripping us of our identity and humanity and teaching us as children to hate ourselves. That's why you all can't stand it when we uh, have knowledge that you don't. 
So you can only resort to calling us what you perceive is beneath you, nigger, in the hopes it will put us back in the place you allocated to us. But we are no longer the niggers you tried to make us. We have begun to regain our original connection to our God nature. And we see you for what you are and what you have done to us and others around the planet. Black people have now been enslaved by white people for 400 years and counting, direct with fear, torture, and terrorism, not only by the government, the police department, and the military, but by white supremacist organizations such as the KKK, the Iran Nation, and many others. So which one of those organizations do you belong to? Doug's eyes widen in surprise, and he begins to stammer, scrambling drunkenly to his feet. That? That is a load of crap! There, there is not a word I'm saying that I cannot prove. What about you? Boo! I never heard such cog washing all my life. I don't have to prove a damn thing to you or any other nigger. Doug takes the wild swing at Nate and misses. Betty quickly steps in between the two men before their confrontation escalates further. She turns her back on Nate to address Doug. Baby, I think we better call it a night. You're tired. I will take care of this. Why don't you go home and get some rest? I'll call you later, okay? Hell no. Don't be calling me later. I don't ever want to hear from you or, or any of you again. Come on, Ernie. Let's get the hell out of here. Doug grabs the last beer off the counter and stares at Nate, infuriated, as though contemplating trying to take another swing at him. Finally, he just pushes Betty away and flings the door open, walking out without another word. Ernie scrambles to get up from the couch and follows him. Closing the door behind himself with one last glance back at Diane. No, Doug, don't listen to them. It's not me, it's them. Doug just keeps on moving and pulls off. Betty, enraged, turns around slowly to stare at Nate and Diane. Look at what you did. How dare you ruin my relationship with my future? I told you don't be starting that mess. I allowed you in my home, knowing I already had made plans, and I trusted you to keep your word. What was I supposed to do? Just let him keep on disrespecting you and our family in this house? Telling the truth was being disrespectful? He was not telling the truth. He has been miseducate, miseducated just as we all have. I stand on truth, truth that can be proven and is well documented. You must learn to start living in truth too, which you currently refuse to do. No, I refuse to live in your truth. That's your truth, not mine. You want me to live in your truth, 
My truth is my own life experiences and what I have learned along the way. What you have learned is lies about yourself, about your people and the value of white people. Those two were just racist white supremacists that were interested in putting another notch on their belt. Did you know that white men were using all of us, including males, on the slave ships? Too? Just because he lays down with you to relieve himself doesn't mean he loves or respects you. He sees you like a toilet. And that's all. I'm a man and I know exactly where he was coming from. Being around these white men for all these years, I hear how they talk when they think no black man, no black soldiers are around listening. Mom, he was being a pig and he called you a nigger too. This is all your fault. You provoked your uncle into this conversation, asking him all them damn stupid ass questions and manipulating him into chasing away my future. He was not your future husband, mama. He was just using you like uncle Nate said as a place to relieve himself. What the hell do you think you're talking to? Betty, completely enraged, jumps forward and, and slaps Diane across the face. Diane puts her, head, her hand on her cheek and looks at her mother in shock, tears filling her eyes. She turns and runs to her room crying. I'm the one who said it. Why are you hitting her? Nate gives Betty a disgusted look and follows Diane to comfort and apologize to her. Dad loves me. He loves me. I even had him bring a friend over for you so you could find love with a real man and not just one of them criminal crackheads. And you appreciate nothing. Ever since you were born, you have been a thorn in my side. I lost men I loved in my life because of her. Why, Mama? Why doesn't anyone ever love me? Because you never learned to love yourself. Addie's spirit steps out from her portrait, and she regards her daughter with a compassionate but stern expression. What? Who? Who's that? Who's there? It's me, Betty, your mother. You can no longer pretend not to hear me. You're going to hear me today. You've got to know the truth so that you can be free of the burden of your self-hatred and the hatred of your people. You put so much value in what white people think and feel about you that you keep getting hurt from chasing white men to love you instead of vowing your own and yourself. What are you talking about? Valuing my own. So what? I should chase black men instead? The junkies and the criminals that we see on the news every night? White men have jobs and they stick with their families. They don't just abandon them like black men do. Even daddy abandoned us. Don't you remember that? 
Is that the kind of man that you want me to value? Someone who will walk away from us without a word? Oh, oh, Betty. I'm so sorry we never told you about the murder of your father. The murder of my father? What do you mean the murder of my father? I want you to understand that everything I've done, everything we've done was because we were trying to protect you and our family. We believe these white schools would have given you a better chance at life. We concealed the fact that your father was murdered because we thought it would be just too painful for you to handle. Wait, who murdered him? Why? We were living in Alabama. There was a not so secret society of white supremacist men known as the American Pride Patriots. We were never able to get the law to convict them because their members were in the police force the judges, the school board, and all the influential positions in society. We all knew they were responsible for the lynching of your father and many others in the state. Jimmy Ray Perkins, head of the school board in Fairview, was not shy about bragging about his role in what happened to my Willie D. What? J Jimmy Perkins? But, but he's... Yes, that's the father of the man who fathered your three children, Edison Perkins. All this time, I believed that my father had abandoned me. I hated him. I believed what everyone around me was saying about black men and black people. And I'm just now finding out my father was murdered by my children's grandfather. That's not all. That organization's motto was B-T-O. Beat them out or breathe them out. Their initiation into society required them to do something to get rid of the black people in their town. They either had to beat, convict, or even kill a black man, run a black family out of town, or to sleep, whip, and have half white babies by a black woman. Your relationship with Addison was his initiation. And you should know that Big Doug is a member of that organization, too. Oh, what are you saying? Has my whole life been a lie? I can't handle this. I thought they loved me. Oh, what, what else do I have in my life, Mama? My life is over now. No, 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 baby. Your real life's about to begin. When you learn about yourself and your origin in the world, I have been with you your whole life. And I've tried to make my presence known, but you have not been receptive to my presence. Oh, mama. However, I have to go now. No, mama. And you will not see me again. No, mama. These things I have told you about those white men are the truth. Now you must learn the truth about yourself, your people, and others. Man is here. He will be a great teacher and mentor for you and Diane. Listen to him. Mama. Learn from him and grow. Peace and peace. No, Mama. Mama. Mama, don't leave. Mama, there's 
still, there's still so much I need to know. Oh, mama, mama. Abby fades away. Betty sits still for a moment, her sobs fading as she tries to make sense of what just happened. Oh, God. Was I dreaming? Did this just happen? That couldn't have really been my mama. But wait, wait a minute. Oh, my God, Doug, he does have a tattoo on his right shoulder that says PTO. I never thought to ask about it, but now, now that I think of it, Edison has a tattoo with those same damn three initials. Oh my God, mama was right. I really have been such a fool. And Diane, oh Diane. She tried to tell me about Mama. Mama. With tears in her eyes, Betty gets up shakily and walks to the back where Diane and Nate are in the middle of a conversation. An open book on Nate's lap as, she, as he speaks. She stands in the doorway and pauses to listen. Well, Diane... The first thing our people must clearly know and understand is who is the origin of original man. That story that we have been told about Adam and Eve was not the beginning of our story. The white man has taken the truth about us and hidden it under all his lies. This is why we can no longer allow them to keep on educating our children. The education system they have have in place is to keep us suburbian to them. And if we continue to allow the white man to educate our children, we will continue to be their slaves indefinitely. As Nate's voice continues on, Diane suddenly looks up to see Betty standing there. Betty meets her eyes with an apologetic expression and offers a tentative smile. Diane hesitates for just a moment, then smiles back, and they both gave their attention to Nate as he continues to teach the end. <laughs>